0: We see in Acts 2.47 when um, there's that incredible conversion of 2,000 people on the day of Pentecost. And it says after that that the Lord continued to add to their number day by day those who were being saved. Mm-hmm. It's interesting wording. It could say the Lord added to himself those who were being saved because that's one way to think about it. Like he's joining us to Christ. But it says he added to their number. Mm-hmm. So they are meeting together in Jerusalem. They are in fellowship with one another, and God is adding people to that. So local churches are this expression of, hey, we are all trusting in Christ together. God is not just joining us
1: to Christ, but to one another. You're listening to Make and Multiply, a podcast devoted to equipping the members of Emmaus Road Church to make and multiply disciples of Jesus Christ in the city of Sioux Falls. The people of Emmaus Road are committed to regular rhythms of gathering and scattering. We gather corporately in worship on Sunday mornings, we gather in missional communities and discipleship huddles, and we scatter throughout our city where we want to give every resident of Sioux Falls repeated opportunities to hear and respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Welcome everybody to another episode of Make and Multiply. My name is Matt Grune, and I'm joined this morning by my good friends Ryan Chase and... Caleb Dernberger. I'm one of the pastors at Emmaus Road Church, so is Ryan, and uh, Caleb serves on our music team and is a pastoral resident at Emmaus. And this week, we're going to uh, come back and to our rotation of the Sovereign Grace Statement of Faith. And surprisingly, we only have one, two left. Today's which is going to be a two-parter warning, um, and then one more section in the statement of faith left, and then we have walked through all thirteen sections, which is awesome. Um, and it's it's helpful for me to remind uh, myself and to remind all of us that the statement of faith is meant to be not just this like dead archaic text that puts that we put up on the shelf and we only bring out during <laughs> debates or something like that. No, this is meant to be a it's a confessional statement. It is what unites sovereign great churches to one another. It is what uh, really encapsulates our fellowship. Um, of course, you know, as Christians, the th- at the core of it all, our standard above all is Scripture and Scripture alone. And yet, it, it's it's worth taking the ideas of Scripture and distilling it down, systematizing it down into okay, what do we believe now? Given this document, because as we've said before, the Bible did not come to us in a systematic theology book. It did not come to us in a confession. God sent out his word in a story, um, which is incredible. And so now the task of of churches and pastors and theologians is to take all that the scripture says and write a a confession. what, what, What do we believe now? given this document. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've been walking through that and I've just been served to, to walk back through and to, to read these sections and to, to think on them and how, how we as a local church apply them. Uh, Cause this, like I said, this is the thing that unites us as a body uh, as a, as a denomination. Mm-hmm. Um, so, this morning, let's just dive right in. We are going to look at, and just, again, this is going to be a two-parter, so just bear with us. We're going to try to get through the first two sections here in, under the main heading of the Church of Christ. So, the Church of Christ, uh, subsection one, the universal church. The, un- the universal church is the true worshiping community of God's people, composed of all the elect from all time. Throughout salvation history, God, by his word and spirit, has been calling sinful people out of the whole human race to create a new redeemed humanity, whom Christ purchased with his blood. With the giving of the spirit at Pentecost, God's people were reconstituted as his new covenant church, in continuity with the old covenant people of God, but now brought to fulfillment by the work of Christ. All of God's people are united in one body. With Christ as the su- supreme, sustaining, and life-giving head, and set apart for God's own possession and purposes. Hmm. So, that's the section entitled "The Universal Church." And I, I think what's helpful about this section of the statement, in in general, is that it moves from uh, all that was said before is can we could say is more for the individual. But now it moves to the corporate nature of the Christian life of we are not just isolated. We're not on our own. We belong, as the statement said, to a body. And here it begins to define the church broadly. Uh, So, and really, I don't know, guys, here's a question I've been asking myself. What theological question does this section answer? Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. What theological question... (laughs) Does this section of the statement answer? I have a thought, but I want to—I want to throw that out to you guys. Yeah, I, th- I think it's answering
0: the question: Who are the people of God?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and how are they identified? Mm-hmm. And how do we know who belongs to that people? Uh, the Bible uses. The term church in different ways, and we'll get into this in the next section on the local church, because sometimes that word church is used to refer to uh, a small group of people that meets in Aquila and Priscilla's home or uh, a group of believers in the city of Ephesus. And yet there's a sense in which we start here with the universal church because we realize, okay, but the people of God is bigger than any one local church. Or like you said, if you go down to the individual level, Mm -hmm. um, okay, well, what God is doing in the world is bigger than just me. And to understand God's work, I have to understand more than just my own personal salvation or my relationship with God, God is up to something much bigger. And my story is caught up in that bigger story. So then our minds are broadened out to being in community with other believers. But this is getting at right off the bat, that definition, the universal church is the true worshiping community of God's people composed of all the elect from all time. So we're talking about the whole scope of history that so that the church then includes believers who lived a long time ago mm-hmm, and have since passed, uh, as well as it, God foreknows already those whom he has chosen who haven't even been born yet. So mm-hmm. we are part of a body much bigger than ourselves. And here we are just a little blip on the timeline. Mm-hmm. We're alive right now, but the church is much bigger than us. So it's it's universal in that it's global mm-hmm. and it, it spans all of time, yeah. everywhere and every
1: when. I, I think another question that this... Section answers is really, whom did did Christ die for? Who is to receive all the blessings that are talked about in the gospel, or, or to the Revelation? I think it's thirteen, or, or I always forget five or thirteen. Uh, who belong in the book of the life of the Lamb that was slain? Wh- whose names are written there? And I think the answer is the church, or as it says here at the beginning, more specifically probably composed of the elect from all time. Um, this is, so earlier when we we're talking about the sovereign purposes of God and his work in election, and We, in that earlier section, we're looking at the individual. Um, mm-hmm. Here, we're collecting all those individuals. And now, who is it that Christ died for? Who is it who he purchased? Who is it that he is going to deliver to the father? Who is it that he is going to marry in a sense? Who is the bride of Christ? It's the church. It's, mm-hmm. it's the elect, which is made up of the people of God. And there's, it is difficult, I think, in some senses, because we think in those categories, we're talking um, exhaustive. We are talking about all the people for whom God has saved. Mm-hmm. And yet, there is an element of asking ourselves, you know, how do we know who that is? Um, because there is an element of like, well, I don't, not all Israel, Israel. There could be some in our midst that mm-hmm. aren't saved, that haven't, you know, they is either a false confession or um, aren't united to Christ. And yet they belong to the quote unquote church. But I think there's a distinction here. The classical kind of reformed uh, distinction is between the visible church, the ones the, the people you can, when we gather on Sundays and look around and who's all here and there's a visible church, even those who are, joined the church membership, and, and so forth. There is the visible church, and then there's the invisible church. And the invisible, it's not two different churches. It's more of one church from two different angles. Yeah. Uh, the visible church is the church that we as humans finite see. Um, the, like I said, the people who gather with us on Sundays, uh, and the people who gather in churches all over the world. The invisible church is the church that God sees, those who are actually united to him. The, the, the Or, you know, a theological term for it, the elect from all time. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's helpful for me as I think on this section, that's making that distinction. The universal church is the invisible church, the people of God through all time for all people. That's who who it is. That's good. Yeah. And God's plan has always been
0: a group plan. And I think the way that sometimes it gets said, like in American evangelicalism, the emphasis on the individual, uh, you know, I've heard preachers say things like if you were the only one who ever believed in Jesus he still would have died for you and mm. and you know their desires to try to emphasize how much God loves you particularly um that it would have been worth it for him to die only for you but that is kind of a a nonsense hypothetical right. because Jesus purpose was to die to purchase for himself a people for his own possession, as mm-hmm. Titus 2.14 says. His goal is never to die for one individual, and his death is efficacious. Mm-hmm. I mean, he by dying for his people, he's accomplishing everything necessary to bring sinners from death to life to guarantee that a mm-hmm. corporate people is saved. Right. Um, and, and we see that... All throughout Scripture, First Peter 2 talks about you are a chosen nation, a royal priesthood, a people for God's own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of of God. Or Ephesians 2 talks about God's purpose to unite all things. Ephesians 1 and into chapter 2, Gentiles and Jews are joined together in Christ. So this has been God's purpose to have a people made up of people from every tribe, tongue, and language throughout all of history worshiping Him. So Mm. I I think getting our heads around that the universal church is not complicated like some doctrines like yeah. the trinity or whatever but it is uh
2: it it does enlarge mm-hmm. our view of what god's doing in the world yeah and it magnifies the grace of god because it would be different to enjoy a steak dinner by yourself in a room yeah. but how much better if you're enjoying that same steak dinner Everyone's eating the same thing, enjoying the same thing together. Mm-hmm. It magnifies the grace of God. That's that's the aim of him saving not just one, but many mm-hmm. who, I, 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 when we read this, I just get that picture of there will be names upon names yeah. upon names upon mm-hmm. names, more than we can fathom worshiping God, praising yeah. him for his generosity, his expressed, extended, overflowed to many people, not just a handful. Yeah. Um. So it magnifies the, the giver of the grace yeah. in saving, not some, but
1: that's yeah. good. Yeah. I think as Ryan, you were saying, there is a danger, especially in Americanism where the emphasis on the individual. So the, like you said, the, the, the gospel has always been a group project. I mean, even going back into Isaiah 53, that great suffering servant song, Um. it's surely he, singular, Christ, has borne our, plural, griefs. And it goes on and on and on. At the end it says, and essentially through him, the many are made righteous. So then you move into the New Testament and that that concept of the body, of a building, all these, we are being built together. There, In order to build a building, you need bricks. You need individual bricks. So I, I do think there can be, though, a ten, tendency to overswing. Mm-hmm. So like uh, a theologian like N.T. Wright, who has done a lot of great work yeah and but he I think one of the places he is off especially in his work on the atonement is that he really just sees the atonement purely as a corporate thing yeah yeah where that's right all the all the corporate nature what did Jesus die for he died for a corporate person and essentially the effect of that pushing that but pushing that um so far is that the individual is lost we're mm. just your personal salvation doesn't really actually that matter that much because you're just part of something greater. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do think that misses a lot of what the New Testament's yep. direction is. Yes, God is building a building, and he's using bricks to do it, individual yeah. bricks. And, yeah. and that's been used to argue against um, the, the doctrine
0: of election or, or to explain election as, well, What God elected a corporate body, right. but not necessarily you individually right. in that. And those two don't have to be mutually exclusive no, at all. No. Yeah. Caleb, like you're saying, shared joy is deeper joy, maximized joy. And Revelation 7 talks about it. John has this vision. He says, I turned and I looked and I saw a multitude that no one could number mm-hmm. from every tribe and tongue. Yeah. And language. And so think about the promise that God made to Abraham. Your descendants are going to be more numerous than the stars in the heavens. So try to count them if you can. Mm-hmm. The people that God is saving, the universal church, just how big
1: is that church? Count the stars yeah. if you can. Yeah. Excellent. Now we move into the second section uh, under the church of Christ. Um, so first the universal church, the one, the, the invisible church that we've been discussing this, the one that God sees, the elect of all time, the the people whose name are written in that book. And now it moves to the local church, which we should just note is a is a unique thing about our statement of faith. Uh, I'm not sure, I can't think off the top of my head, any other statements, m- more of the historical statements that emphasize the local church, um, which is a big deal to us. So he, here, uh, this is two paragraphs, and this is where it kind of fleshes out that universal church nature into now the local church. So the local church, As an expression of Christ's universal church, the local church is the focal point of God's plan to mature his people and save sinners. Therefore, all Christians are to join themselves as committed members to a specific local church. A true church is marked by the faithful preaching of the word, the right administration of the sacraments, and the proper exercise of church discipline. Even true churches are imperfect. They often contain a mixture of unbelievers hidden among the true flock and are vulnerable to theological error and moral failure. Yet Christ is unwavering in his commitment to build his church and will surely bring it to maturity. Christ has given the offices of elder and deacon to the churches. Elders occupy the sole office of governance and are called to teach, oversee, care for, and protect the flock entrusted to them by the Lord. Deacons provide for the various needs of the church through acts of service. God gives these and other people as gifts to serve and equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the people, the body of Christ. In keeping with God's created design, Scripture reserves the office of elder for men, yet men and women alike belong to a royal priesthood in which each member is gifted by God to play a vital role in the life and mission of the church. <clears throat> Oof, yeah. As I read that, I I find these opening two sentences probably the most powerful, right? What is the church? The local church. Uh, it's an expression of Christ's universal church and is the focal point of God's plan to mature people and save sinners. Mm. And then the, therefore Mm. the, okay, now what? All Christians ought to join themselves as committed members to a specific local church. Um, that's a that's a strong take, and I, mm-hmm. I think that's right. It really highlights because you think of or earlier what we read about the universal church, and just the lofty nature of this and the invisible nature of this, and there's like in the mind of God and so forth. But now, what this section does is takes that idea and lives it out. What does this look like in my day to day life? It means belonging to a local church. Yeah. Um, which I think is just such a sweet emphasis that sovereign grace is always. Yeah,
2: had. God. I was just thinking of this the other day. God is a God of order who establishes in His grace certain relationships, certain dynamics that mm-hmm. we live in. So we live as sons, we live as fathers, and mm. and husbands and wives and all these things. And in that, there's a responsibility, a call. We're not just all free agents, kind of floating right. about. Um, and so even more so for the church to, uh, we I mean, we welcomed new members this last week mm. and what a beautiful picture that is. And we get to even just highlight in that moment what that we're, we're saying in that. It's more than just like, these are people I sometimes see mm-hmm. once a week. No, these are people that I belong to in a certain relationship now, a covenant relationship, because... God is God of order. And in that relationship, he means to get things done. Um, I mean, we've talked about this before, but it's, it's in the context of this committed membership that we do know who we belong to and we're able to live out those one another commands. I mean, there are commands in scripture. <laughs> there are many mm-hmm. commands. And we want to, and we, we live it, we, we obey God's commands. And it's hard to obey God's commands if you were off on a beach yeah. right. by yourself for the rest of your life, yeah. um, and so God in His grace gives us these these relationships, and especially one another in the church to to do just that, so that we might, as it says, be mature people in, in pursuing godliness, and it's a it's a
1: means in which He saves sinners as mm-hmm. well. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Ryan, maybe this would help. It, can you make a case for us of why church membership? Um, why not just regular? Why can't regular attenders? Be included in this. What, why? What is it that church membership do? do? What? What does <laughs> church, church what do, mem- you do? What do you do? What does church membership do that is different? And and why is it such a focus for us at Ames Road Church and then at some and for Song because Rose there, church there,
2: there so. are churches even oh, yeah. in
1: our city. Oh, of course, yeah,
2: that are explicitly not about. I, I would say that's probably.
1: Membership.
0: It's more and more common. More common, yeah. Yeah. It's certainly been the recent trend where churches that maybe used to have membership have moved away from that. Mm -hmm. Certainly with membership, there is an idea of commitment. And Mm -hmm. so I, I think that that move away from church membership to no membership just reflects the culture that we live in, where... People don't want to be committed. No, no commitments, no strings attached. You know, so everybody's looking for a gym plan, a cell phone plan, whatever, where you can just get out of it at any time. And you can pick and choose what works for you. Yes. Yep. So you, you just you craft your own. Um, so I, I think that's part of that trend. But what we see in Scripture, you know, as far as making a case for it, one, I think you can go all the way back to the Old Testament and see the distinction that God has always made between his people and those who are not his people. He's the Lord of all creation. He's created everybody, but he takes Israel as his treasured possession. And he uses that language to describe them. And he makes a distinction. So we just preached through Exodus and God distinguishes between Israel and the Egyptians. Many times the the plagues, think about how many of those plagues, there's a distinction. It's pitch black in Egypt, but in the land of Goshen where Israel is, there's light. God differentiates. And so there's some distinguishing mark about his people, and that's true all the way through the story. It should be clear to the world who are the people of God. Um, Then you come into the New Testament, and the same thing. Christians are the people of God who are—we are in Christ by faith. I think the concern about church membership— usually comes from you know, that emphasis on the universal church. Well, all you have to do to be saved is trust in Christ, right? We're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. So anybody who believes in Jesus is in the universal church, right? So why would I have to commit myself to a specific local body of believers? Right. That seems like it's adding on some step to salvation by faith alone. I think that's one of the, the main concerns people might have. Um, but what our statement of faith says here is local churches are the expression of the mm-hmm. universal church. So yeah. these are not two different things. Right. The, the universal church is all the saints from all time. Some of them are dead. Some of them have not been born yet, but those who are alive right now, the universal church finds expression in local churches. And it's, Largely, uh, the result of the way that God has made us, that we are limited in space and time. We right. occupy a particular place. So when you read through the letters of the new Testament, you, you see that many of the introductions begin with some greeting to the church in Thessalonica or the church in Corinth or the church in Ephesus. So why are there these different churches? Well, because if you live in Ephesus, you, you can't get to Corinth very easily. Right. So mm-hmm. these are the believers where, who are around you. And we see in Acts two forty seven when, um, There's that incredible conversion of 2,000 people on the day of Pentecost. And it says after that, that the Lord continued to add to their number day by day, those who were being saved. Mm -hmm. It's interesting wording. It could say the Lord added to himself, those who were being saved, because that's one way to think about it. Like he's joining us to Christ, but it says he added to their number. Mm -hmm. So they are meeting together in Jerusalem. They are in fellowship with one another and God is adding people to that. So local churches are this expression of, Hey, we are all trusting in Christ together. God is not just joining us to Christ, but to one another. And so, like Caleb was saying, the New Testament is full of one another commands. You can't live those out unless you're in community. So the New Testament just doesn't have any category for Lone Ranger Mm -hmm. Christians. There's there's no such thing. You can't find Mm -hmm. any example in the New Testament of a Lone Ranger Christian who's like, well, all of you have churches, but I just kind of do my own thing. And I float around wherever it's, you know, most convenient to me. I I think that's a weakness in the church in America, Mm -hmm. kind of, in in, again, an emphasis on the individual. Like, I'll go here as long as it suits me, and as soon as it doesn't, I'll go somewhere else. But in the end, I decide. And I think the challenge of submitting to an authority, like Hebrews 13 commands believers to submit to your leaders. um, And and how can you do that unless you know which particular pastors? Of all the hundreds, maybe thousands of pastors in Sioux Falls, who has God called you to submit to? Um, And again, I, I think our... Our human nature uh, emphasized in America, in particular, we don't really like to submit to anyone right. but ourselves. That's and right. and uh, you know, the challenge I've often given to people is if if you submit only when you agree, then you actually haven't ever submitted to anyone right. yeah. but yourself. Right. So submission implies that there might be times when you may have done it differently, and it's not a moral issue, and that you're not being required to sin, but you go along with it anyway. Um, so th- those commands in the New Testament just don't make sense unless believers belong to and are committed yeah. to one another in a local
1: church. And if you've been around a Road Church for the past six months or more, <laughs> the, the Lord has been adding to our number. And so just this past Sunday was such an expression of that to welcome 32 new members, which incredible. is just incredible. And just the weight that we as pastors feel, and we'll get to this in a second, of just as that happens more and more, uh, as, as we said, the church is the focal point of God's plan to mature his people mm-hmm. and save sinners. So there's this sense of like, okay, as people are added to our number, we're growing, not just physically, but the aim is also to grow in our spiritual maturity. And that then is reflected in gospel communities and huddles and, 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 and done through that. But uh, this last paragraph then is, okay, so that's that's the local church now God appoints now um, to offices to help. You know, the word "govern" is so hard to, but yeah, to govern the people of God. Um, I, I guys, I can't tell you how many times I, my mom just asked me this, like, "So, what do I put on our Christmas card? Are you a a pastor or an elder or like, <laughs> I'm like, just put pastor? <laughs> it's just the, it's easiest." But I, I have probably explained this aspect. Um, multiple times, uh, particularly about our, about our churches. We view, we have a, a unique, not unique. We would just call it biblical, but it, <laughs> it finds itself to be unique. Yes. Yeah. Um, unfamiliar. Unfamiliar to... view of, 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 pastors and elders. And Ryan, I know you just gave us a long defensive church membership, but. Can well, I you got just... more to say on that. Okay. Too. No. Excellent. <laughs> Letter back, I'm holding back. <laughs> May it be said of us, we were holding back. That's right. <laughs> then, uh, Will you give us a little bit of a, a rundown of why do what's our view of... Why do we talk about pastors and elders? It seems like we're saying the same thing, but yeah. maybe some people come from a church where those were two different, different offices. right? Or yeah. eld, even, even the elderships, there was ruling elders and teaching elders. and yeah. So just maybe give us a brief defense of that.
0: Yeah, and our point isn't necessarily to critique and pick apart other people, their, their polity or church structure, or whatever. But what we see in Scripture is uh, the Bible, the New Testament, uses several different words synonymously. In fact, oftentimes they appear in the very same text to refer to the same role, the same office, the same men. So those words are, you know, pastor is one, one word, which speaks of shepherding, the shepherding role, which is a, a metaphor for those who are responsible to lead and feed and care for the flock of God's people. That, that metaphor is common throughout scripture. Um, but we also see words like Elder, the Greek word is presbyteros. We see episkopos, which means it, it gets translated um, overseer. Some traditions use the word bishop for mm-hmm. that. Uh, you recognize those words in Presbyterian comes from Presbyteros or Episcopalian comes from that word Episcopos, which has, you know, has to do with, you know, which of those offices they're emphasizing. We see all of those used synonymously and interchangeably. So in mm. Acts 20, for example, um, Paul calls the elders of the church in Ephesus to himself, and he calls them to shepherd the flock of God that is among them, keeping watch over their souls. So keeping watch, shepherding, elders, uh, you know, oversight, that's the, the bishop word. Uh, all of those are just interchangeable. So so we use that overseer, elder, shepherd, pastor. We're talking about one role. So we often use the, the word elder because that's common throughout the New Testament. But like you, I often just use the word pastor when talking to people outside of our right. polity who... Hear elder and think Mormon missionary, maybe, <laughs> uh, or you know that, that word elder can have different connotations to different people. So you kind of got to know right. your context. But those words
1: are synonymous, to right? Us. Yeah, and that, one of the other things of when you were giving a, a defense of church membership, you you brought up well, why is it important for us as elders and pastors to have a strong view of church membership? Is because God has called us. To care as you said, to the command in first, shepherd the flock among you. That's a command mm-hmm. um that pastors must obey. And the question then is posed to us, okay, who's the flock? Right. Are we are we called to shepherd all the universal flock? No, that that's Jesus' job. Right. So as under-shepherds, which is another phrase that's used throughout the New Testament, as under-shepherds, as those under Christ, who is the flock that we are responsible for? Mm-hmm. And for the for the reasons you gave, the, the pattern throughout the New Testament is those who belong to our local church right. in a a committed way. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's what, that's a huge reason why we believe in church membership. Is not only does it define horizontal relationships of like, okay, who am I called to all the all the uh, the commitments and the one another's in in the New Testament? Who who am I directed to give those to? But also for the church member, who am I called to submit to? Right. And for the pastor, who am I called to care for in a Unique way in a a specific way. Yeah. So that helps draw those parameters, um, so that we can actually obey those commands. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So all of this, guys, just highlights to me my love for our local that's church. That's right. Yeah. Um, I Emmaus Road has been as as I'm sure all of us have this story of how it's functioned in our lives and the, the role it's played. But uh, this was this particularly was a massive thing in in our life and Jamie and I's lives about uh, moving here, moving back to South Dakota was this feeling of detachment from the local church. Uh, Part of that is because when we are the middle of our years in South Carolina was COVID, so everybody was shut down and everybody got a lesson on the local church during that. But we just felt called to a people, um, called to a specific people. And God through His sovereignty and through His providence worked to make a way for us to come back. But um, the local church—I mean, we really do value the local church. We value what God does through the local church. It comes out in our polity, even of the fact that who uh, who pastors this church. It's not so much some different denominations and different structures will like go shopping for a for a. They have a job position open, and they go shopping for a pastor to come lead this group of people that probably never met before and, and so forth. And that, that can, that can be helpful in some ways and can cause some other problems. But we talk about like how we ordain elders. We view that as an, as the job of the local church. Um, it's not, so like for instance, I was recently ordained. Some might ask, Oh, did you just go to a seminary and then graduate with a degree? And then now you're ordained and now you just go look for a job. No, at, at at Sovereign Grace in Sovereign Grace Churches, not a for road church. We see that process happening within the local church, um, coming out of the local church. So we we have our eyes on on men who we feel are are seeing potential towards eldership, and we uh, Greg particularly takes on the responsibility of, of developing them as future leaders and because the goal as we'll talk about in our next podcast the goal is to build up this church is to serve this church all yeah. things to leading this local expression um so that's good it it helps me as i think on Emmaus and i think of just what god has done for us and to us and um it's been a sweet sweet season yeah. um man 10 years we w- when this podcast drops where it's right in the middle of this uh, this upcoming Sunday is our 10 year anniversary, mm-hmm. which is just incredible. How how kind has God been to us, um, in different seasons with different people, and yeah. how He's added to our number. And I just remember when we moved back, because we when we first joined the church, there was like 40 people, 40 to 50 people that mm-hmm. attended on Sunday. The, the 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 chair setting up process was much different. <laughs> it was much different in About the a tenth of what we are now. But when we moved back, it was like. This church, we don't know who this church is. And so it took us a long time to kind of Mm. grow back in and to get to know the church. And, um, but man, we, we do love the local church. Yeah. We often
0: quote Charles Spurgeon who said, um, the the church is the dearest place on earth to us. Um, uh, these are the people that we love, that we are committed to, that we share our lives with, that we participate in Christ with. And, uh, so,
1: we, we can say that too. That this is the dearest place on earth, mm-hmm. the local church. Excellent. And there's more to be said about the church, which we will cover in part two of the Church of Christ. Thanks for listening to Make and Multiply. If you have questions about anything related to discipleship huddles or missional communities or gospel fluency, you can reach out to your missional community leader. And if you're not yet plugged into Gospel Community at Emmaus Road, visit us online at EmmausRoadSF.com.